I am so thankful for those who are faithful, especially faithful in prayer. Um, prayer service doesn't get, get highlighted a lot, and uh, a lot of people just choose to, to stay home on a Wednesday night. But you've come here, and it's important, and your prayers are important. You might wonder, why does... Why do we even pray? You know, a lot of people say, well, you can just pray uh, to yourself or with yourself or by yourself. You can pray in your heart. Why would God have us pray and pray aloud? There, there's, there's a lot of purpose in praying aloud. One of it is that <clears throat> sometimes we need to say our words to really uh, to, 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 to hear and to, to grasp the, the full effect of them, that we are talking to God. We are talking to him. The other part of that is that it encourages others. You don't know what's in my heart. You may not know what my desire is, but when I pray aloud, you begin to hear that. And as I commune with God, you can, you can hear that. So it's good to know that others are praying it's even good to be with others that pray. And uh, I can say firsthand, it's good to know that, that others are faithfully praying for you. I want to say thank you to Heidi for her list that goes out regularly, reminding us of needs, and, and she does a lot of work to keep that and to update it. And it's important. It's important to this work and to this ministry. Um, and I just appreciate um, God's faithful who, who come together for prayer. Tonight we're going to take a look again at 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to finish the chapter starting at verse 50 through 58. And we've been looking at reasons why we pray or uh, reasons for our faith. And same, they are the same thing. The reason for our faith is the reasons why we pray. <clears throat> and here, of course, is the resurrection chapter. And uh, Paul reminds us of several things. We'll look at five things today. Um, what is the victory that was obtained for us? In verse 57, he says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What victory is he talking about? Thanks be to God who gives us victory, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in, in, the verse, in verse 54, he says, Death is swallowed up in victory. So we have victory over death. This great resurrection chapter is reminding us of that truth. We have victory over death. No one else can say that. No one, except those who follow Christ, can say we have victory over death. You know, in, in a way, the whole world is pursuing that. People want to stay young. I see, I was watching the commercials um, just yesterday of, of of how you can get rid of wrinkles and you can take this medicine or do this surgery and everybody wants to stay young or stay looking young and feeling young. They're fighting death is what they are. The process of death. And each one will lose. <laughs> it's a given, right? They're going to lose. But God says to his people, we have been given victory. We have been given victory. So it's the victory over death. Death is swallowed up in victory. It's not just a little victory. 
He's going to completely uh, um, defeat death. How is this victory obtained for us in verse 57? Now, some of these questions are, are simplistic, and the answers are simplistic, but they are important. How is this victory obtained for us? It's obtained, verse 57 says this, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's obtained by God through Christ. It's obtained by God through Christ. God gives victory over death, and how does he do that? Through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, it's not an ointment. It's not a surgery. It's not some new herb or herbal treatment, all right? It's not some long-lost secret that somebody's going to tell. If you watch another, you know, video on the Internet and you'll get the next phrase and it'll give you the secret to it, no. It's given by God and it's given through Christ. Only given by God, exclusively by God, and only through Christ. God's means for giving this victory is through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't sound like much of a surprise to us, but we need to be reminded of it. And that's why we can come and pray because of what God has accomplished through his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ satisfies the law. His obedient life meets the standard. In other words, um, what one thing the law said, the soul that sins, it shall die, Right? Death is, is the consequence and the punishment for all sin. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Jesus conquers that. He met the standard that no one else could meet, and he kept the law. No one else could say that. But he meets the standard. His sacrificial death satisfies the requirement. God had a requirement as a payment for sin, and Jesus satisfies that requirement with his life, with his death. And his powerful resurrection proclaims the announcement. God is, is telling mankind that Jesus is alive and has conquered death. He's alive, he's free, and so are all who trust in him. God did that through his son, Jesus. Third, third question we'll ask and answer. By what means was this victory obtained? How did Jesus get this victory? Through his own resurrection, he got victory over death through his own resurrection. And so all his believers have victory over death because of his resurrection. That's why Paul makes a note in the first part of his chapter saying, what do you mean saying there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of dead, we're lying. God is not true. Christ didn't accomplish anything. And our faith is useless. But he says there is a resurrection of the dead, and Jesus is the first fruit of that. He paved the way for all who would trust in him. Fourth question asked, and we'll answer, when is this victory realized? When do we see this victory over death? And that's a good question because people are saying, well, yeah, you believe in Christ, but you're going to die like everybody else. You're still subject to cancer. You're still subject to sickness. You're still subject to death. So what do you mean you have victory over death? What does the Bible 
actually say and what does it actually mean? Verse 54, he says this. When, and he gives us a time frame, right? <clears throat> when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immor immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. <clears throat> when is this going to happen? When is victory over death going to be uh, uh, um, obtained by us or realized by us? When the perishable puts on imperishable. In other words, when God raises our bodies from the dead and when he changes our bodies from their present perishable nature now to the eternal imperishable nature, then we will have that final victory over death. I, I mentioned this several times when I was a boy. I, I would say, well, hey, Dad, you've been talking about that if I would trust Jesus, I won't die. I would live forever. Why do I see people who trust Jesus who have funerals? What happened? Did they not trust well enough? Uh, was their faith real? Was God true in what he said? <clears throat> so he says here, look, this is the order. This is how it's going to happen. Yes, believers die, um, but they will be raised again when Christ returns, he goes through, you know, and there's going to be a trumpet sound, Christ will return, then the dead who believed in Christ will be raised, and those who are alive during Christ's return will be changed. That's when we will see the final um, victory over death. So he makes it clear so we would understand, so we would know, so we wouldn't be confused about his process and about his plan. Let's just know. Then the final question we'll ask and answer, of what practical value is this future promise? In other words, you're saying, okay, well, now you told me that I won't actually see this until Christ returns and makes this, this, this change in every believer and those who are living during that time. So if that's the case, what value is that to me now? How does that help me now? <clears throat> Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. He's saying, since you know what God's plan is and you know what he's going to do, recognize who you are and what he's promised and what you have coming to look forward to and be faithful. What value is it? It has, it has a great value in that we know that what God has promised is coming. He's going to accomplish what he said he would accomplish. What he has said, what he has promised, he's going to do. Therefore, what you're doing now based on his promises is, is essential, is true, and it's going to be blessed. He says, therefore, my beloved brother, in other words, because God does what he does and 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 he does what he said he would do. He's accomplished that in his son, Jesus Christ. You know he's going to finish what he said he's going to do. So keep being faithful. Don't give up. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because there is eternity. 
and we're going to face that eternity. And because we're going to face it with brand new bodies, changed, resurrected bodies, know that your faithfulness in God is going to be rewarded. Nothing that you do for the Lord is in vain. We tend to think from our perspective, <clears throat> um, just a couple weeks ago, you know, I worked for a contractor that delivers for FedEx, and I think, man, I got all these, all this stuff. I have a full day. And I'm thinking, my job is only over when the truck is empty, when everything is delivered. What do I get for this? The next guy has his route. He has maybe half of what I have. What do I get? We get paid the same. Why should I bust my rear end to finish my job when he's doing the same thing? Because if we just look at the temporal, I look at his check, I look at my check, it looks the same, right? My boss says, hey, attaboy, good job. I'm like, good job? I don't see a difference on my check. Why should I do it? There's a whole nother reason that I do it. I want to be pleasing to God because he sees all and he rewards all. And he's saying there's coming a time in eternity where I will reward everything done for my sake. I will reward it all. So he's promised that. He's promised that you, look, if you're just looking for what you get here, you're not looking far enough. God will reward everything. That's why he says, look, because there's eternity, and we're going to experience this eternity, and we're going to, sounds funny, we're going to live in eternity for eternity, right? <laughs> Don't you think God does what he says he's going to do? He says, don't take lightly what you do for God. He will reward it. That's one thing that encourages me. It's not God saying, well, you know, if you're part of a big church and it's well known and people applaud you all the time and wherever you go, you're out to dinner, everybody knows you, everybody sees you. If you're part of that, you feel good. But God says, no, no, that's not how I work. If you're faithful doing my work and nobody sees it and nobody knows it, I know it, God says, and I will reward it. So I said, there's a faithful group here tonight that you are praying and you are faithful in serving the Lord. Others may not know what you do. I mentioned Heidi in terms of her putting our prayer requests together and, and our list and just faithfully. You know, she never comes, Pastor, did you see what I did? Did you see what I did? Wasn't that great? She, she doesn't always get rewarded from a man's perspective on that. God sees it. God can reward much better than any of us can. And by faith, we trust that God will do exactly what he says. Since he's shown that in the most powerful, most meaningful thing in our life, since he has gotten rid of 
our greatest enemy, death. And, and we all said it sometimes, man, I wish I had just a little bit more time. I could do this if I had a little bit more time. What you're talking about is our days are limited. Our time are, is limited. It's fighting against us. God has taken care of our greatest enemy. Some could say, Father Time. No, it's death. It's that our life is limited. He has taken care of that. He has given us victory over that. He rewards all that's done for his glory. He sees all. He rewards all. So again, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. What? In the work of the Lord. You can abound in your job if you want. You can abound in your bank account if you want. All those things have their reward, but they have no reward in eternity. He says, my work will be rewarded. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If it's not in vain, it means it's meaningful and purposeful because God will recognize it and he will reward it accordingly. Isn't it better to be rewarded for something for eternity than have great reward for just a moment? To be rewarded with something for eternity and have great reward for just a moment. Keep up your work. God's watching. God's rewarding. All right, continuing our meditation in John 7. And we're going to begin towards the middle of the chapter in verse 25. Just to give some context of where we are now. Jesus went up to the feast secretly. And then he started teaching the people. And people were kind of surprised by what he was teaching. Because they said it was clear that he didn't have learning, but that he could teach with knowledge. And they were wondering who was his teacher. So he kind of rebuked the people. The people didn't understand where the rebuke was coming from. And they're starting to slowly get, get it. So we're going to get and start at verse 25. Now, when we meditate on God's word, what I want you to do is um, focus more on the hearing of it as I read it. You know, in, um, in the book of Timothy, it says, don't let go of the public reading of Scripture. Part of that is sermons. I'm not denying that. But when we talk about meditation, I do believe that sometimes we can get distracted by the reading of it, when in reality, this time is supposed to be about the hearing of it, and then the digesting of it, and then in tune with the Holy Spirit of it. So if you can do that and read at the same time, that's fine. But if you get distracted at all, just close your eyes and just listen to what I'm saying. Because I'll be reading the scripture. 
Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a head on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to dispersion among the Jew Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by this saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? officers answered no one ever spoke like this man Pharisees answered them have you also been deceived have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him but this crowd that does not know the law is accursed Nicodemus who had gone to him before and who was one of them said to them does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does and they replied are you from Galilee too search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee to be a lot of controversy about Jesus. And the two big questions that they have that the crowd seems to be confused about is where he came from and where he's going. So let's just talk about that a little bit. Where did Jesus come from? Why did they not properly understand Jesus, where he came from, and why did they not properly understand where he was going? So let's start at the beginning. Where did he come from? Or you want to answer? Where did Jesus come from? He was born in Bethlehem. What has how far did the crowd say that he was from? Galilee, right? Nazareth is in Galilee. Um, Brother Kyle was talking about this. Um, and this kind of contradicts what the Pharisees said. They said, no prophet has arisen in Galilee. Well, where was Jonah from? He's from Galilee. 
but maybe they didn't count him as a prophet because he didn't majorly minister to Jews, which is just racial superiority. That has nothing to do with the fact that he was a prophet. But going back to the text, Jesus, in their mind, came from Galilee. Whereas was he really born? He was born from Bethlehem. Where was he before that? He was with the Father. Do we see other appearances of Christ in the Bible before we get to the New Testament? Who says yes? Who says no? Yes, raise your hand. All right. Who says no? Raise your hand. Okay, so only one no, many yeses. Where did Jesus appear in the Old Testament? For those who said yes, go ahead. What did you say? Yeah. Jesus, yeah, there was two men, and we know, we will first be tempted to think that's a trinity, but the two men turn out to be angels, right? And we know that God literally ate with him. Who has a human body amongst the Godhead? All right. What other appearances of Jesus do we see in the Old Testament? Okay, he wrestled with Jacob. What other appearances? Who's the angel of the Lord? Okay, the donkey saw him. Right? So, there is a lot to say about this angel of the Lord who speaks of his own authority. And what does an angel mean? It means messenger, right? But could not angel of the Lord also be translated also as word of God? And who is called the word of God? Jesus. Okay. So before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and they don't even know how he was born because he was born miraculously, and they assume it had to be fornication, right? But they don't know where Jesus came from in the fact that reality, what Jesus is saying is, I come from the Father because I am God. You think I have a starting point, and you think you're talking to a man like you. I am not like you. And that is the hard part of Jesus. This is the thing that separates Christianity from every other religion. Because if you cannot accept that Jesus could look like an ordinary man but still be God, you can't be a Christian. You just can't. And that's a hard thing to accept. Now, where is Jesus going? They said, what is he going to do? Go to the Roman world and preach to the Greeks? But where was he going? Okay, he's definitely going to his father. Let's just think about it in steps, okay? Where's the first place he's going? Right now he's alive, so he's going to die, right? He's going to die. Next pit stop is the cross. What comes after the cross? The grave. What comes after the grave? Risen from the dead. What comes after being risen from the dead? Ascending to heaven. What comes after ascending to a heaven? Sitting at the right hand of God. What comes after the right hand of God? His return. Now let me ask you this. What is he doing 
what era is he in right now? Where is Jesus right now? Right hand of God, sitting at the right hand of God. What is he doing there? Interceding for us, that's definitely one. What else would we say he's doing in his throne? And the throne is a clue. What do you do in a throne? You reign. What is he reigning over? We couldn't say necessarily the earth because what's going on in the earth right now? Lots of sin. But where does he reign? Well, let's be more specific. I, I would not say everything because we just said the world is, he's not reigning over. Hmm? Okay, in the hearts of believers, which is the, the church. Jesus reigns over his church. We get glimpses of that. You remember in Revelations 2 and 3, when Jesus writes letters to his churches? It proves, and it should make us a little bit nervous, because we hear this phrase. Anybody ever heard this? Where two or three are gathered together, who's with us? Jesus. What does that mean? Is he just chilling? What does it mean? There's power there. Let's put it this way. If we were gathering as a sweet communion, and if dad was there, he would have to be, people would keep looking at him, right? He's presiding over that event. And that's sometimes why he might not come to some stuff, because he, we look at him, hey, man, there's the pastor. He's leading. What are we going to do next, pastor? I just came, right? If Jesus is sitting down with us, who's in charge? He's presiding over our meeting. If two or three of us accidentally bump into each other and we're meeting in his name, right? We say, man, let's, let's, let's meet together in Jesus' name. Jesus is there. Therefore, what we do, it has to agree with Jesus because Jesus is in charge. That is true of church discipline, but it is true of everything the church does. So where is Jesus going? He's going to preside over his church. What happens when he ascends and he raises into heaven? What gift did he give us? The greatest gift almost? The Holy Spirit. The sweet Holy Spirit. We don't have no better friend than the Holy Spirit, man. Let me tell you. He walks with us every day. I know Jesus is our friend, but Jesus is reigning from heaven, and he's saying, man, I can't be with you every day. Who can be with us every day? That's the Holy Spirit, the sweet Holy Spirit. Where did Jesus go? He goes to prepare a place for us, but he also went to send a friend for us. So there was no way they could believe in Jesus when they had no concept of where he came from and no idea where he was going. And that's the same with every Christian. If you claim to be with Jesus, you got to know where he came from. You got to know where he's going. If you don't know, do, know those things, you cannot properly call yourself a Christian. Even the newborn believer may not know all the theology, but he or she has to know that Jesus is God, where he came from, and they have to know that he will hold us accountable for sin. That's where he's going. It has to be known. Good evening, everybody. All right.
Today what I want to pray about is the hot topic we got going on right now about the Supreme Court justice. Um, obviously, man has got a system of justice put in place, which are these judges. Um, and in our government system, obviously, there's a higher um, level of that. But ultimately, we know that God puts these people in place. You know, we talked about how he sets up kings. I don't think this is much different, that God is in the works on putting people in the power that they're in. So what I want to pray about is I want to focus on that. Um, what I would like is, Mickey, if you can pray for just the um, God doing his will on setting um, whoever he's got in mind for that position, that he just works in that, that he works through the politicians that are involved in that, that they just have the wisdom of and let God lead on what his leading is for that. Cal, if you can pray for just our society as, if you remember the last time this happened, it was crazy. People get real crazy about this kind of stuff. And just pray for the civility of our people that um, the church is able to minister to these people when they're going through this stuff. If they don't like it, if they like it, that they can, we can continue to just point them to the ultimate judge with God. Okay? Then I'll close it up. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for being truly king and reigning, Lord, in our lives as believers. We pray now, Lord, that you help us, Lord, to think on what it is that you want us to look for in, in leaders, Lord. And we pray that we would hold to that, Lord. We know that you love us and that kingdoms are built by you and kingdoms are brought down by you as well. Lord, so we pray that we would be faithful as believers to um, study our, our candidates, Lord, and not be um, moved just because we see 30-second uh, sound bites or commercials, Lord, that tell us who we should vote for. We ask, Lord, that, that we would be faithful in researching our leaders, Lord, and then hold true to what you want us to vote, on, vote for. Lord, sometimes we put our own thoughts in and our own feelings, but we're asking, Lord, that you would just guide and direct in our lives that we would pick the leader that you would have us to. And, Lord, if we're faithful in that, we can rest assured, Lord, that whatever happens, that you are still Lord and you are still king and you're still ruling. Lord, we may not like the outcome, but um, or we may not like what's going on as a result of the outcome, Lord, but you allowed it to happen. So we pray, Lord, that we'd be faithful in researching and faithful in um, praying for our leaders, as you have said in your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you now, Father, for this time, Lord, being able to, uh, just so we can be able to have just the wisdom, Lord, and uh, faith. I ask, Lord, that you continue to give us as believers, Lord, just the, uh, the wisdom that we need, oh, Lord, and able to make the decisions we make and the ones, Lord, that we choose in these positions. Others, Lord, to know uh, that, Lord God, that you are sovereign and you are in control, and it's not whatever man, uh, you just know, Lord God, whatever happens, Lord, that we know that, uh, again, Lord, that you are in control and that we have faith in, in you and your decision and who you allow. Father, we pray, Lord, that we as believers, Lord, to know and realize and uh, just continue to keep in our minds, Lord, to know, uh, Lord, who is the, the ultimate joy, Lord God, that uh, we know we can rest in our hearts, knowing, Lord God, that uh, you the one who directs and And that, Lord, we know we thank you now, Father, just for this uh, election and the thing that's happened to the public world. 
and that, uh, Lord, we can continue to trust you, Father. Lord, we lift up this uh, Supreme Court justice decision that's going on right now, Lord. Um, first and foremost, we just ask that you continue to do your will in that, that you continue to work in the hearts and the lives of the people who are appointing the judge, Lord, that you just continue to just um, do your work, continue to do your will. Um, ultimately, Lord, we just ask, person we like or don't like, Lord, that we just, you do your will, Lord, and we just praise you knowing that you are in control of every situation, Lord, and we just thank you for that. We lift up our society, Lord, as um, it can be a very heated time, very heated debates, Lord, that we just ask that um, you help level heads prevail, Lord, and ultimately, and most importantly, you just use the church in this time. Use us to continue to minister to people, minister to people that may seem angry, minister to people that may be upset. Even minister to the people that may be getting what they want, Lord, that we can continue to just show and point them to you, Lord, and um, how ultimately this is a very small thing in comparison to a life with you, how this is just an imperfect person who we're putting to try to do justice in our country, that you are the perfect judge, Lord, and you are the perfect one to preside over all life. We just ask that you continue to allow your church to continue to minister through this. In your name we pray. Amen.